Grab your copy of Scripture and let's go to Psalm 19. Right there in the center of your Bible, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 19. Very, very familiar passage of Scripture, one that I have um, taught on many times. We are in our third part of dealing with this issue of love. We're looking at love with regards to how we, as God's children, respond to His love for us. And so we're just trying to uh, tackle some of the uh, just preconceived notions that we have about the way we respond to God and trying to go a bit beyond the normal, um, just simple responses like what do we, how do we respond to being uh, loved by God by obeying Him. And that is very true, very true. But it is insufficient insofar as it will not... Uh, it will not completely overwhelm our emotion with regards to our love and devotion for God. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and then let's study together. Father, we're grateful tonight for an opportunity to study your word. We're thankful, Lord God, for this precious gift that you've given us, Lord. Thank you for uh, Psalm 19. Thank you for what it can do to our hearts and to our minds. And Lord, we pray tonight that you will empower through your Holy Spirit the, the reading and the preaching of this scripture, Lord God, that it will impact our lives in such a way that we will leave here transformed by its truth, Lord. I pray that you'll give us ears to hear and eyes to see, Lord God, hearts to receive the wonder and the splendor of what's before us. In Jesus' name and for his glory, amen. So there is a great power, not only in the blood of Christ, but in the knowledge and understanding of what that blood did, what that blood represents. It represents God's immense love for us as His people. The very fact that we can sing a song about the blood of God being shed for mankind should overwhelm us with the love that God obviously has for His people. Isaiah 62 verse 5 says this, and as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Now just let that settle on your heart for a moment. Think about the, think about the re rejoicing, um, uh, how a bridegroom will rejoice on this, in this wedding day love and jubilation over his bride. The Bible says that God will rejoice over his people in that way. And so my question tonight is, how do we respond to this love? How do we cultivate in ourselves this uh, overwhelming affection towards God? Because it is not innate. It's not natural. It doesn't just uh, happen. Um, it's not automatic. But you know that. This is not anything new. Unless you uh, today is your first day as a Christian, and I'm pretty sure that none of you here would qualify for that as far as I know then you already know that it's a battle. It's a struggle. Every day is a struggle to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So if it's not merely obedience, but it is obedience, then how do we reconcile scriptures in the, uh, that seem to contradict one another? For example, 1 John 5, 3, we've read every time, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. So that seems to be pretty straightforward and clear. And then we look at 1 Corinthians 13 where the Apostle Paul says 
Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. So you could literally give it all in obedience, but not have love and profit zero. So it is the combination of both. It's not one or the other, but it is both. But oftentimes we find ourselves sort of drifting towards, because what's easier? I mean, let's just be honest. What's easier? What, is, it, is it easier for me to love my wife as Christ loved the church? Or is it easy for me just to do the right things to stay out of the doghouse? Right? And it's the same thing with our walk with Christ. What we find ourselves doing invariably is that we, we sort of embark on this journey with the Lord. But as time goes on, we slowly drift into this this, all, we know how to stay out of the doghouse, we think. And so we, we just do certain things. We do the right things. We, we want to obey and follow the rules along the way, but our love dwindles. And to me, that is a tragedy. That's something that we all collectively ought to be very, very uh, sensitive to and, and honestly afraid of. I do not want my affection for the Lord to dwindle. I, I struggle in so many ways with this. It, one of the biggest struggles in my life is preparing sermons without it becoming uh, this intellectual endeavor. Because it can happen. Trust me. It, you can you can just you know my job can become like your job if I'm not careful, and so I have to be very disciplined to make sure that my personal worship of God is my personal worship with God, and then when I am worshiping God through sermon preparation, that my heart is completely engaged with the text that I'm dealing with, and it is a struggle sometimes because there's just like your a workplace, the phone rings and people come in and things happen. And, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to fall in love with a text in the midst of putting fires out all over the place. But I'm telling you, it's, it's very doable, but you have to work at it. It, it just doesn't, it just doesn't happen naturally. You know, I'm, I'm not, uh, believe me, I have a, I have a lot to learn and a long way to go in a million different areas of my life. So I don't say this to, to contrast myself to anything else, but I will say that, that if you were to ask me what is the, what's, the, what's the biggest problem with preaching today? I mean, I, I listen to a lot of preaching and I, I read a lot of books and I try to keep my pulse on what's going on culturally with regard to the church universal. And I would say that it's... It lacks affection. I, 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 don't, I don't sense that so many times people have fallen in love with the Scripture that they're trying to feed to someone else. And it, it shows because you can't fake it. There's no way to just sort of, you know, conjure up this. It just doesn't work like that. Think about Zephaniah 3.17. We sing a song that's based on Zephaniah 3.17. And uh, we actually started singing that song when Donnie was here. And we started, when we started singing it, he, I remember he came to me and said, um, what do you think about this song? And I read the lyrics and I said, well, what do you mean, what do I think about it? I think it's fine. What, what, I could tell he was worried. 
And he said, ah. I said, Count, be honest. What are, what are you worried about? He said, I'm just worried about uh, this line about, about the Lord rejoicing in jubilation over us that people are going to find that offensive. And I said, good. And when they find it offensive, tell them to read their Bible because it comes right out of Zephaniah 3.17. The Bible says, The Lord your God is in your midst. The Mighty One will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And if that's not enough, which that is amazing in and of itself... I, I probably read that verse at least once a week, every single week, every week. I have it on a card in my office. It scrolls across one of my computer screens. But the word rejoice in the last line of Zephaniah 3.17 is not the same as the word in Isaiah 62.5 that I read first. It is a very obscure word for rejoice that's only found about two or three times in Scripture. And it means almost to frolic in jubilation that God is just in complete jubilation over His people. That's good. That is good. So, if that's the God that we serve, how do we respond to that level of love? Not, not just the intellectual level that there's power in the blood that was shed on my behalf and because of that blood I'm now forgiven of my sin. That's true and right and glorious. But beyond the intellectual of what God did, what about the way God feels about you and me as His people? How does that change the game? How does that alter the way in which we respond to this God? You know, if we, if we love God in a way that is all of duty and void of Delight. I love that word, delight. It, it, we're light. We, we're light. Like I feel like when I'm delighting that I'm skipping. I'm light on my feet. I'm so happy. Now, if it's, if it's all of duty, good duty, good things, all obedient things, but void of delight, the question is, do we really love Him? Now, we know the answer on, human, on a human level. We've already established the fact that if, if, any, if any of us treated our spouse that way, it would utterly and completely fail instantaneously. It just would. I mean, you can't do that. It won't work. And even the most materialistic pagan relationship can only sustain that level of uh, just, you know, empty extravagance for so long before the heart must engage or someone's going to feel... Empty. So back to 1 John 5, 3. For if this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, why is the very next statement, and His commandments are not burdensome? Just want you to consider, just want to point out that this morning we're dealing with a text in John 16, and just pointing out the fact that in that text, the disciples are theologically in error. They are, they do not get the theology of the cross, of the resurrection, of redemption. They don't get it. Jesus chooses not to deal with their theological error and yet to devote himself to dealing with their lack of joy. I hope you're tuning in. I hope you caught that as we were studying through that this morning. 
So everything that we've said comes out of 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9, where Peter says, Though now we do not see Him, yet believing, you rejoice with inexpressible joy and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the the salvation of your souls. So what we see here is that you cannot separate faith from love. Those two things are molded together. They are ingrained in one another. They cannot be separated. So... How are we doing with that? How are your affections towards God? Um, when I talk about these things on Sunday nights, do you feel awkward? Does it seem foreign to you? Are you struggling to uh, grab a hold of what I have to say? I mean, I've noticed something. I've noticed that, that for the past two weeks, you've been an awfully quiet group. Now, I don't know why that is. Maybe that's good. Maybe you're really tuning in and, and meditating through the things that we're talking about. I don't know. But I've noticed that you've just been very still and very stoic as we've talked through these things. And I'm, I'm praying for you. And I'm hoping for us together that we'll grab a hold of this. And, 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 I, and I know, I'm not, I'm not saying that we're missing it because we're certainly by no means missing it, but that together we will really see what it is the Scripture says and get, get excited about what God has for us. So, you know, what I think the Bible says, actually what I know it says, is that if you're, if you're void of affection towards God, you, you need to do some soul searching. You need to do some checking. Uh, there's some wrestling with issues of your salvation that need to be worked through. I'm not going to say that if you don't feel affection towards God, you're not saved. I'm not going to say that. But I am going to say there'd be cause for concern there. You, you may be saved and you may just be in a, uh, in a very dry desert season of your sanctification. But it ought not seem completely foreign what we're talking about. So if faith is what we need, because I believe that's where we're going with this, is that it takes great faith. The greater the faith, the greater the love. Those two are intertwined. And so if I can't conjure up love, then what do I do with faith? What, what, surely I'm not just powerless in this thing. And so as I'm just sharing with you what I go through personally, um, I... I attack this on the faith level because I know that as my faith grows, my affection grows. And I want to be a person who practices certain things that feed and grow and mature and bloom my faith. And so I know that God gives grace through certain disciplines. He gives grace through the hearing of His Word. And so tonight... You are uh, receiving grace from the God, from from your heavenly Father as you listen to me preach. And if you if you remove yourself from if you stop coming to church and you stop sitting under preaching, it will have a negative effect on you, right? And reading the Word, 
is a means that God bestows grace upon our hearts. And really, when I say grace, what I really mean is that He just reveals Himself in a greater way. But it is. It's the grace of God that, that we don't deserve or have any right to demand any way of, of just saying, God, well, you just need to show yourself to me or I've somehow deserved that or earned that. That's ridiculous. It's the grace of God. It's unmerited favor that God would even let us know His name, that He would even take the time to know your name and my name is unmitigated grace. So, let's look at Psalm 19 and let's, let's practice uh, this grace-receiving exercise by meditating through this psalm. And when I say meditate, what I mean is to just go, to walk slowly through the pages of Scripture. This is what I'm uh, commending you to do in your personal time. This is different from your reading through the Bible chronologically. This is different through your reading through the Bible uh, in a year. Uh, different from you getting out your um, daily devotion or whatever routine or structure you have. This is different. This is in a different category. If you try to lump this into this, it's just going to go. It's not going to work. It's going to be a complete mess. This is you. When, when you look into the eyes of your spouse or your children, when you hug them and hold them and tell them that you love them and look them in the face and you, you connect emotionally with them, that's what this is with the Lord through His Word. Meditating through. You've heard me talk about there's times where Scriptures that are near and dear to my heart, the way I memorize Scripture sometimes is one word at a time. One word at a time. So it would take me all week to memorize a, one sentence. But, buddy, I got it when I got it. Because those words mean something. And so I'll go word for word sometimes in meditation. That's not Bible study. That's different. So let's look at this. Psalm 19. The Bible says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiworks. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language. Where their, uh, where their voice is not heard, their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the earth. In them He has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of His chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run His race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Now, we could just read that just like I just read through it and you could just move on. Just put a check mark, got that done, that was good. Or... We could choose to meditate on that and stop and spend some time in this amazing uh, word that God intended to bestow His love upon us. And so that's what I want us to look at. In the first two verses, the heavens declare the glory of God. Now, I want you to think about this. with, a, with a, It's going to take a little bit of imagination. You've got to read this and think about it and try to, what is this, and get visual. I mean, this is a... There's, a, there's an orchestra of things going on in my mind as I'm reading through this psalm. I'm thinking about the heavens declaring the glory of God. I'm immediately back into a place in time where I was under a, a, a large sky that was just replete with light and there was very little interference. Maybe I was out in the wilderness somewhere hiking on the Appalachian Trail and just looking up at the sky and it's just unbelievable. And I'm back to that moment. I'm thinking about how that declares the glory of God as I'm meditating through this. And the firmament shows His handiwork that He's done. Day unto day it utters speech and night unto night it reveals knowledge. Now, 
knowledge is conveyed through nature. Now that's that's interesting. And and how is it declared? How does it declare? Is it is it whispering? Or is it shouting? And I think it's shouting. I think it is just like a huge megaphone declaring the amazing, unbelievable, sovereign power, nature, love of the God of the heavens that He did that. That He's not a... This is what I think. I think this isn't some bland God. This isn't some, you know, just one color God. This isn't God that only uses one or two crayons in the box. This God is using all the colors. He's got all the creativity going. He's got, I mean, he, he thought that it was good, not just to do what he did, but then on top of that, he said, you know what we're going to do? When he gets all done and gets, this is what I'm imagining. Then he says, but then we're going to, every once in a while, we're going to make a shooting star. Just extra. You don't even have to pay for that. That's just extra. And I just sit and reflect on that. A shooting star. He thought of that. He took the time to make that happen. It didn't have to be that way. But he did that. He made the moon appear to change shapes continually. So that it was different. But he made the the sun which is not good for us to look at, remain the same so that we wouldn't be drawn into temptation of looking at What if the sun was always changing? We go, is it a full sun? I don't know, you know. But he didn't do that. Come on now, I'm just trying to... I mean, this is like you're, you're walking through the, the aisle the, of heavenly toys R us. And you're seeing all this stuff that God's got. And you're just thinking about, my goodness. It's just shouting the glory of God. Now, as its nature is conveying knowledge and as it's uh, shouting and declaring God's goodness, nature, like the angels in heaven, never grow weary of glorifying God. See, nature never sort of has a, a downtime. Nature's never not glorifying God. It's not, it's, there, it, there's not certain days that, you know, when it's cloudy, that doesn't mean, oh, well, it's not really declaring the, the, the greatness of God today. It's cloudy outside or it's raining outside or whatever. Maybe the rain is even louder. Maybe the rain's even shouting. You know, haven't I told you before that when I was a young boy that, you know, my only way of dealing with my situation growing up was there was one sort of just way that I just survived. And whenever it rained, I would go outside by myself and get in the car and shut the doors and just lay there and listen to the rain hit the roof of the car. And it was just, it was like my, I was safe there. Something about the rain hitting the roof of the car made me feel loved and safe and secure. Let me tell you something. When it's raining, every time it rains, I always just think of how the Lord is cleansing. He's cleansing. But you see, they they never grow weary. In heaven, it's always going. In nature, it's always going. But we're not that way. Why? We're not consistent, are we? 
I mean, we have our times, we have our moments, we have our days. But how how come we're not consistent like that? How come we can't declare God's glory like nature? Because we're fallen. We're fallen. We're tainted by sin. And so nature's a little bit tainted in the sense that, you know, we have, uh, you know, thorns and weeds and things of that nature. But our predicament's a little bit different. We have an internal battle. We are... We're born-again people who possess the Spirit of God, yet we're sort of encased in this shell of the flesh. And so there's this battle that we talked about last week that goes on. And so, therefore, we, we can't just declare the glory of God on autopilot. Some of you tried that. It doesn't work good. And what happens is you come crawling back to church, um, wounded, broken, hurt, Distant. Some of you tonight are in that place right now. You're just, you know that right now, tonight, right now as I'm talking, right now, you know that there is sin in your life that you are unrepentant over and you know that it's wrong. You know it grieves the heart of God, yet you don't change. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? And you just say, no. Sorry. And then you automatically go into your justification mode. And here's why. Here's why I'm upset, God. Here's why I'm bitter, God. Here's why I'm not going to change that. Here's why I need that. I know other people, I mean, we just get... We get so creative when we're trying to justify our sin. Why don't we get that creative in the amazing words of God? We say no. No. It baffles me that every time I preach, there are people who listen to me who say no. Their heart just goes, nope, not going to do it. To this God, the God of Zephaniah 3.17. It's unbelievable. Verse 3, there's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. So what does that do to your imagination? What, what, what does that make you think about? It, in other words, that everything... Everywhere is, it's being declared, but it's being declared visually. That it's, it's this declaration of the glory of God transcends language. Does it not? You see, because you, you don't have to speak any particular language to look up and go, wow, in whatever language you say wow in. It's not confined. No one needs to instruct you in anything. No one, you don't need to have learned your ABCs or how to count or anything, really. It's just there. It's universal declaration 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right there. That every time you get in your car and you drive out of your driveway and you turn and you start going, you're out your windows and up there's there's that creation and it's declaring at the same rate that it is any other time of any other day in any other way in any other place it doesn't matter you ever think about that that in your worst moment when you are just having your biggest pity party it's declaring the glory of God at the same rate it always does amazing Always, this God declares His glory all the time for us to see. 
and we reject and push back. Now, what if we understood just this so far? What if we understood that all of creation declares the glory of God? Oh, what that might do for our lives. If that's all we knew tonight was that. If we just ended the sermon right here. What would that do? What would happen if you saw your life through the lens of all of creation declares the glory of God all the time, universally? What does that mean for you personally, for me? That means that all of the things in your life that don't make sense and all of the things in my life that don't make sense now suddenly Makes sense. What is it that doesn't make sense in your life? What is the issue, the struggle, the problem, the question that God hasn't answered sufficiently for you? What is the prayer that you've prayed and prayed and prayed that God hasn't answered the way you think He ought to answer? What is your biggest fear? What is, uh, what is the thing that you want to know? If you had a, a crystal ball or if you had a genie in a bottle and one wish, what would it be? What, just fill in the blank. Whatever it is, here's the answer. The answer is, it is the way it is for the glory of God. And so you can rest. You don't have to fret. You don't have to stay up at night. You don't have to freak out about anything. You don't have to wonder. God's in control. He does everything to glorify Himself. And so wherever you find yourself and wherever I find myself, what's the reason? The glory of God. That's the reason. So you see, you can just rest. You can just lay down your fretting and just rest in the glory of God. Just that one simple truth. It's the context of all of life. And it's available to every single person. Look at verse 4. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle or a tent for the sun. In other words, this is an amazing creation that is declaring this amazing message. Now, I mean, I'm just saying personally, if this were me, I'm going to spend some time on this tent that houses the sun. That's just kind of cool. I'm going to think about that. I'm going to meditate on that. I'm going to walk around all day long and I'm going to visit people in the hospital and I'm going to return emails and I'm going to return calls and I'm going to counsel people and help people with their problems and I'm going to do all the things that i got to do. But all day long I'm thinking about there's a tabernacle that houses the sun. Wow. And I'm going to think about that. Because even if I don't ever resolve it, even if I don't ever come to a place where I'm still amazed by it and it causes me to just smile. Because that's how big my God is. Acts 14. Dr. Luke says that the living God, the one who made heaven, earth, the seas, all the things in Him, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways, nevertheless He did not leave Himself without a witness. Oh no, He didn't. In that He did good. He gave us rain from heaven and, and fruitful seasons and He filled our heart with food and gladness. See, he's, he's available. It's available to everybody. It rains on the just and the unjust. It, it just rains. The blessing of God just comes down. 
And so there's that general revelation for all people. But the Apostle Paul says in Romans 11, he says, But for Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. In other words, that in all of that, in whatever it is, in everything, it's for the glory of God. That's what it's for. And so the the purpose and the meaning behind all of this creation and all of this majesty and all of this declaration, it all comes back to His glory. And so when you think that through, you realize that, well, now we're part of His creation. So what are we here for? I mean, would it make any sense to you that all of creation is declaring the glory of God, but then somehow there's this exception clause. There's a loophole. There's mankind. And because they're different. They're different, all right. They're created in His image different. But we don't want to talk about that. We want, to, we want an exception. We want to think... And, and, you know, people get frustrated because, you know, I'm kind of down on sin. When you say or when you act or when you live in such a way that you portray to the world around you that your purpose is for your own glory, your comfort, your happiness, your success, your fame, your renown. It is utterly repulsive to God. It, is, it, it sickens Him. You see, we clearly exist for the purpose of glorifying God. So what our question ought to be is not first, God, are you going to fix this? God, are you going to change this? God, are you going to ever do this? God, I'm not saying that those are wrong questions. I'm just saying they're wrong. it's in the wrong order. The first question ought to always be, God, are you getting glory from this? Because if the answer is yes, and it almost always is, unless you're in rebellion, and even then, He'll use it. He's, he's, remember, He uses all the crayons. So He gets glory by giving, giving us spankings. He shows Himself good in that. You see, that's, that's the thing. We get so tangled up on the little trinkets of our own selfishness and greed that we miss the treasure of the glory of God. So if we look up so far at what we've read, if we look up at the sky and we consider what Psalm 19 says, all that He's made, then what kind of God is He? Well, just based on this, what kind of God would create all of this in such a way, design everything perfectly in accordance with this plan and structure so that the very nature of it, the way it exists is it revolves around His glory with all this just amazing, unbelievable creativity. We're captivated by the television and Facebook and 
whatever. And right outside your window, it's right there. And I'm the crazy one for spending a week in the woods. Where else would I be? Isaiah 49, remember the former things of old? This is the kind of God He is. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. That's the God we serve. That's who He is. That's our Father. That's whose image we bear. And then on top of that, He created us. Therefore, everything that we're able to create or do is a gift from Him, through Him, right? So after we're done looking around out the windows and... and at the mountaintops and at the weather patterns and at the constellations, when we're done doing that, then what do we do? Then we look around and we say, and beyond that, look at, look at us. Look at the things that we do. I mean, just simple things. The fact that people can play instruments... You ever just think about that? You ever been around when I sat down at the piano and started, you know, little Beethoven? How do you do that? How do you how do you pluck strings and make a sound come out? How do you hit all those crazy keys that don't even have numbers on them? How do you how do you bang on those drums? I mean, how? And and how is it that some people can just they can just do that. Where did that come from? What about the things that we, you know, look at, look at your, look at yourself and look at the, the, the millions of intricate functions that are taking place right now within your body to enable you to be able to sustain life right now that you don't even have to think of. They just happen. They just happen. And any honest doctor would tell you that we're just guessing. Because they are. I mean, right now. You ever think about that? You ever just, am I the only one that just, from time to time, I just look over at my kids and I just think, is there anything that phone can't do? Who, who, who thought of that? How is all of that in that little bitty compartment? I mean, I'm with the calling. I mean, I had the bag phone with the stick-on antenna. I was there. Okay, so it shrinks down. Then we go to texting. Okay, I'm there. I'm even there. You know, when we go to the Internet, I'm there. But when they're talking to the phone and it's talking back, come on. Where am I? It, it knows. How do I get there? It knows. That's amazing. God enabled that. 
He enabled that. Just in His goodness. You know, I guess I'm just kind of simple. I don't know, but I, my wife's car, I'm still struggling here. Help me. Her car, when you're driving down the road, as soon as it starts to rain, the windshield wipers come on. Now, how does it know that? I mean, that drives me crazy. It makes me feel dumb. I know it's raining, but it already beat me to it. It's smarter than I am. But that's from God. See, I, I just look and I go, man, God, you are just amazing. That you could just make people smart enough to figure out how to make windshield wipers come on when it rains. And I don't know how that works. But it does. So that's just creation. That's just all this stuff around us. Okay? But all that's just... Well, I mean, we're only at phase one of, of meditating on this. We, we're just scratching the surface. That's like entry-level imagination. Because we haven't even got into His Word. See, we're, we're, we're still in an impersonal sense. You know? You're not, you're not having communication with the stars. You're not, you're not looking at the 900 different colors of green on four different trees. Nope. I mean, and, and having a conversation with it? No. It's declaring to you, but it's a one-way conversation. But then you move into His Word, and what happens? It's a game-changer then. Then all of a sudden, you're, you're getting personal insight into the character and nature of this God. And this would be the normal time when I go into this whole... So, again, remind me, what is the reason why we don't read it? Well, why? Why? What is it again? What, what is so pressing? It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Then you get into His Word and, and He begins to give you divine revelation. Now, we could, we could be here for four hours on this psalm. I hope you are here for four hours on this psalm. I'm just trying to whet your appetite. I just want you to, to see that you're, you're going to take a turn in verse 7 and God's going to start talking about His Word and then there's just going to be these, these, these unbelievable attributes that are going to start just leaping off the page one after another after another. He's going to tell you in verse 7 that the law of the Lord is perfect. And I mean right there, don't you dare read past that statement. Just... Don't even think about it. Don't even ever let your eyes pass that without stopping. you got to slam the brakes on when you hit that. What? Perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. It's utterly perfect. It lacks nothing. There's, no, there's nothing else you could ever need to know about God than that. That's just 7A. 7b, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Oh, God's so trustworthy. 
See, when something's sure, it's trustworthy. You can, you can lean on something that's sure. You can, you, can, you can put weight on something that's sure. That thing, I'm sure. It's sure. You can trust it. So you know that whatever is contained in this Word, you can trust it. And I know I'm needy. And I need help. And I need answers. And I got questions. And I got problems. And I don't always know what the right answer is or how to pray or what to do. But this is sure. It's trustworthy. It's perfect and trustworthy. And that's just seven. That's all we did was just read two little statements. Then he's going to say it's infallible in eight. Eight B, he's going to say it's pure. Nine, he's going to say it's timeless. It endures forever. In 9b, he's going to say it's, it's peerless. In other words, it has, it's unequaled. His judgments, the judgments of the Lord, they're true and they're righteous all together. Maybe we'll do a sermon series on each line of this psalm or any psalm and just spend all night talking about one simple statement. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous all together. It'd be hard to keep that in 50 minutes. And still, we're only at the second level. We're still not even pressed into the deep end. I mean, you can still touch bottom here. So you've got, you've got the, the glory of creation declaring His righteousness. Then you've got His Word that is just... Peerless and perfect and infallible and trustworthy in every way. And it's revelatory in His nature and His character. Then, Jesus on top of that. Wait a minute. As if that wasn't enough, I'm going to send my Son. I'm going to send the person, the express total package. Flesh and bone. I'm going to, I'm going to pack this God into a human package and send him to earth. What? Think about that. The, the embodiment of this unthinkable God in human form here walking on this ball of dirt breathing with lungs like you and me. We're singing about his blood shed for us. What? Who's having a bad day? What's wrong again? What are you watching on CNN that's got you all in a tizzy? Huh? Really? God in the flesh? The last line of this says, The Redeemer was here. Here. My Redeemer lives. Those children sang, My Redeemer lives. Just spend an hour thinking that through, meditating on that. My Redeemer. And what I want you to, what I want you to hear is that you, you, how, how do you not, 
How do you do that and not get emotionally connected? How? Now, am I saying that, you know, every single time I open the Bible, it's like a three-ring circus in my office? No. It is a lot of times, but not all the time. But what I'm trying to tell you is, is that I war for it to be all the time. You see, when it's not, I hate that. I hate it. And so I work at it. I'm, I'm trying to, to get you to see that love doesn't just happen. You gotta cultivate it. You gotta nurture it. You gotta court it. You gotta. And what happens is you start to emotionally invest in things. And, and here's one of the reasons what this morning was a good reminder to me about why so many people want to step away from this. And then I'm done for tonight. Unfortunately. You know, in heaven, there's no clocks. Just want to throw that out. Um, this morning, I'm over there, sitting there. And the children start singing. And I'm just, I just respond emotionally to things just the way I am. It's just my nature. And so I'm on this, I was, I didn't realize it until I was on my second emotional roller coaster, you know, in the first two songs before I stopped and thought, you know, how uncomfortable that is and why so many people feel uncomfortable with it. So what happened was I was sitting there. I'm just sharing my heart. I love all of you. You're precious to me. And, uh, and that's why I'm honest with you. The first emotion was, was anger. I was angry. I was angry because the children are up here and they're singing. They're about halfway through the first song and I can hear the chatter, the chit-chat of voices throughout the congregation of all of the little la-la-la-la-la-la-la talk that, that you didn't get finished before 9 o'clock. And it made me mad. I thought to myself, look at those kids. Look at them. What are you talking about? What is so important that you are talking while these children are singing from the bottom of their heart? About the ball game scores and about the this and about then they're up here singing. And I was angry. And I didn't like it. And so then the singing continued. The talking stopped. And then I started getting emotional again. And I was on the verge of tears as those children we're singing. And when the when you started clapping for those little soloists, and you could see it was it became this mental game with me. I began to start to look at the faces and the countenance to try to find out who's the next soloist because there was this great anticipation. Are they going to clap for me? And then that one little girl who was over here, she came down and she sang her part and she started walking and you clapped and she started skipping. Did you see that? And I mean, I just welled up with emotion. 
And I thought, now I got to get control of this thing because I'm about to get up there and preach and I can't be just blubbering around, tears flowing. But if I am, that's fine. But you see, I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with that. You just, you don't, you don't want to put yourself out there. You'd rather just come, mind your own business, just disconnect. I'm just here. It's just me. Whatever. Go through the thing and go home and mow my grass. That ain't my deal. Not because I'm a pastor. Because I'm a sinner. This is not my deal. And I like it when it's not your deal either. I like it when you're emotionally connected to what God's doing in your life. I like it when we're talking. Three people today I had a simple conversation with. They're doing all the talking. I'm only listening. And all three of them start crying. I didn't say a word. It makes me happy. It makes me happy. It makes me happy to see you emotionally respond to the things that God is doing in your life. So when you are trying to figure out how to respond to this God who loves you in this unbelievable way, don't try harder to love Him because it's not going to work. You got to love him. You got to woo him. You got to court him. Open up the Word of God and start meditating through Scripture and just soak in bit by bit and piece by piece. And you're watching. Your faith grow and your heart and affections respond with love for Him. Now, again, if that seems foreign to you, tonight would be a great night to ask God to save you. Be a great night. I know it'd be a it'd be a big step. Everybody in this room knows everybody. There's bound to be some uh, jubilation and excitement that would exceed a normal uh, night where somebody responded to Christ. Because undoubtedly, whoever you are, you're in this room and everybody in this room thinks you're saved. But maybe tonight is your, your night. You know, maybe, maybe you have that moment where it was the 10,000th sermon. But it was Tim's night. And here he came. And isn't it good to not, to be able to just walk through one of these with me and not feel trepidation or nervousness and just be relaxed to know that you're secure in Christ and that you no longer and it's always the same story you, you just talk to Tim or any of us it's always the same story what, what, why did I wait so long tonight you can have a relationship with God just like me 
just like the amazing, unbelievable people in this room, just like can exceed anything you could ever imagine. It's available to you tonight. Just ask Him. Let's stand, bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, all we can say is, Lord, that our love for You is the only response to the reality that You first loved us. And Lord God, if we could just stop in this moment and consider the the condition that we were in when You loved us. That Lord, You... You picked us out of a crowd. The joy of my salvation is that I was in a lineup at my worst. I was as, as ratty and haggard as a person could ever be. I was as broken up by my life as I've ever been. And at my very worst, you offered your best. And God, in response to that, my heart, my affection, my devotion belongs to You. Lord God, help us tonight to just wrestle through. Love the Lord with all Your heart, with all Your strength, with all Your soul, with all Your mind. Help us, Lord. Help us to wrestle through the reality of all. You're better than anything else, Lord. God, thank You. Thank You for declaring Your glory. Thank You for giving us Your Word. Thank You.